Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is Thursday, December the 8th, 2022. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day. I'm happy to be a part of it. You can always text me during the show. The number is 877-933-2484. Let's see. A couple of things came in on the text line already this morning. One in... um, in relationship to a question of a headline that somebody heard last night on the news and wants to know a little more about. So trust me, I will research your question um, later today and get back to you. And then there's this. Good morning, Carmen. Many of us are sending out Christmas cards to our friends and family that don't know the Lord or have drifted away, trying to find the right words to put on a Christmas card to show them there is hope. Any thoughts? Um, Well, the first thought that comes to mind is simply in sending the Christmas card and in you acknowledging um, that it's Christmas and that you love them enough to send them a card, right? There's a connecting point. The other thing that I do is I pray over the people to whom I'm sending each and every Christmas card. So I pray that God would use that card in a way that I don't even really know how to quite ask, but I'm going to ask that God would use the card to open a door, open a conversation, open an opportunity. I like to include an invitation to a conversation um, if it, you know, if that's appropriate or an invitation to, um, you know, an event to actually sit down and talk with each other. Like, you know, hey, if you don't have somewhere to go on Christmas and you want to join us, this is what, this is where we'll be and what we'll be doing. Um, Invite them into your Christmas experience um, maybe as one option. And the other thing is just, I'm just going to highlight the last word that you used here in your, um, in your text question, and that's the word hope. Um, you know, how do we reveal hope? The word hope, one of the ways that uh, I, I learned when I was a little kid, if you, if you take those letters, you know, the word hope is to help others perceive eternity. So that's what you're doing. You are um, helping someone else perceive the reality of God and the reality of his presence, and the reality of his power, um, and the reality of what Christmas really is, that Christ came. So the content of your card matters. The spirit in which you send it matters. Bathe it in prayer. Pray for the people who are going to open it, and ask that they would not only receive the sentiment that you are sending, but that they would receive the Christ whom God is sending, the real gift of Christmas. So thank you so much for your um, for your question. You can send me anything. The text line's wide open, 877-933-2484. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Now that's Moses speaking. Um, from among you, which means that the prophet will be, um, you know, born of Israel blood uh, in the in the line of Israel, in the line of David specifically, from your fellow Israelites. And you must listen to him. 
So Deuteronomy, uh, let's just recall, is the account of Moses' teaching of the law to the generations of of Israel after the 40-year wilderness wandering. This is a part of his instruction. He's speaking here about the coming prophet, the coming prophet, uh, the prophet. That's important here. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Um, Deuteronomy 18 is where Moses warns the people against um, imitating other nations, falling into idolatry. It's a reminder that Israel was to be distinct, holy, and blameless, gaining their approval from God, um, you know, governed by God. And and so that's a part of this um, conversation. Uh, and in order that God would, uh, in order that the people of Israel would know God's direction and God's will, he sent them prophets. And he promised to raise up for Israel a prophet like Moses. And so, you know, that can be fulfilled through any person who speaks on behalf of God. But this long um, expected one, this this prophet that Moses speaks of here, um, is the prophet. There would be false prophets along the way, um, and there would be other prophets as well. But the people of Israel could recognize the false prophets by whether or not um, their prophecies actually came true. And the reference to a prophet in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen again, it could be fulfilled by any number of the prophets that God would send to his people. But their expectation was clear that God would send them one particular prophet. And they looked for him to arrive for hundreds of years. And so when John the Baptist comes on the scene, the people ask him, are you the prophet, the prophet, John one twenty one. John explained, no, I'm not the prophet. Um, the one that uh, I am announcing is the Messiah, the prophet for whom you are waiting, John one twenty six to 30. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter connected the dots again, um, declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited and expected one. Matthew's gospel affirms throughout that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God made in and through Moses. And the writer of Hebrews expressly confirms that, quote, while God spoke um, to Israel through many prophets over the years, in the last days, God spoke through his son, Hebrews 1.1. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Um, He epitomizes the prophet that is um, prophesied in Deuteronomy 18.15 or promised there. He spoke of things to come. He announced uh, his coming kingdom. He revealed and explained to the Father. He exegeted the Father to us. He provided an incredible panorama of future events. He offered a blessing to all who would hear and heed his word. This prophet is trustworthy. He is true. And he's not just a prophet. He is also the great high priest and the king of all kings. He is Christ, the son of the living God, Emmanuel, God with us. Come, thou long-expected Jesus.
Ben Johnson is back. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. He tweets at the Rights Writer. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. What is going on in Indiana? I mean, that answer could be, there could be lots of answers to that question. So specifically, what's going on in Indiana in relationship to that state's near abortion ban? Well, you know, this, uh, this unfortunately, it has hit a legal block. In Indiana, uh, after the Roe v. Wade uh, decision was overturned by Dobbs in June, on June 24th, Indiana had a a pro-life law that went into effect, uh, essentially um, uh, allowing uh, for uh, abortion only in very limited cases and protecting life in almost all instances after that. Uh, Unfortunately, as I say, it hit a legal block, particularly in uh, Marion County, which is Indianapolis, where a superior court judge has ruled that that law violates the Indiana religious, uh, the Indiana uh, religious freedom laws. They say that it violates the religious liberty of non-Christians. Uh, mm. So, in other words, uh, this law was uh, allegedly passed on a, a um, sort of a theocratic basis, and that therefore anyone who is not a Christian is being subjected to Christian dogma. Uh, and there were a coalition of people who sued. Uh, some of them were Jewish and say that uh, Jewish law uh, says that a, a child is not a person until birth. Some of them are Muslim, and some of them uh, are described as having uh, the, uh, quote, independent spiritual beliefs. And there's no greater specificity, which I assume means that they are either pagans or members of the Satanic Temple, which has has said that they will try and file these kinds of lawsuits. This, to my knowledge, is the first time that this claim has been successful that, uh, in fact, these laws were passed specifically as a form of Christian theocracy. So, um, Ben, let's take a very brief break. And when we come back, I would love for you to read us in on a couple of other things um, that are happening in the culture. Uh, For folks who haven't um, heard this yet, Oregon teachers are not joining the teachers union any longer. That is an interesting development in Oregon. The Oregon Education Association lost some 1,150 members the percentage of union-represented teachers um, has dropped from 85.6% to 81.2%. Another 600 members have reportedly cut ties since those numbers were reported in April. So there's a lot going on in the um, in the area or the arena of education. We're going to talk with Ben about why so many Americans are fleeing public schools. Why are parents choosing private and Um, and home education for their kids. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Go tell it on the mountain Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. Ben, talk with us about um, the right to 
be educated um, in the United States of America? Like, like, let's talk about that. And then why so many Americans are pulling their kids out of public schools that are, you know, that are pro- provided by the government. Well, you're right. Uh, they, they certainly are. There has been a, a tremendous uh, influx in the homeschooling movement, as well as private schools, parochial and, and uh, Christian schools. In the homeschool movement, uh, you see a, a huge influx, particularly during the time of the pandemic, where so many public schools were shut down. So uh, during the 2020-2021 school year, there was a 63% increase in the number of homeschoolers uh, because essentially everyone was being homeschooled at that point. It was just a question of which curriculum was being used in the home. But uh, when schools reopened last year, only about uh, 15% or 17% of those returned to public schools. So it's a massive increase, about 50% uh, of, of homeschoolers. About 6-7% of all Americans are currently homeschooled, which uh, when you look at uh, the reality that in the 1980s, that essentially didn't exist. Uh, we were basically talking about 0% of, uh, of Americans being homeschooled. It's a huge increase. And we have the right to be uh, educated. Uh, the, um, uh, there was a wonderful uh, uh, series of articles from the Washington Post, uh, which is not a, a phrase I, I utter very frequently, but they, they looked into the reason that people are moving children uh, into uh, other settings other than public school. And you, you get the sort of answers that you expect parents would give. Uh, they are concerned about the need of, um, uh, of their children to be educated in person, which, of course, was impossible during the pandemic. Uh, in some cases, they heartbreakingly talk about safety and school shootings. Uh, and in other cases, they simply talk about the importance of the value of the education itself and that private schools offer uh, better schooling overall in terms of their quality. Many of them cite their faith, both Christian and Jewish, in the article. Uh, it's it's uh, really what this reflects is two intertwined truths that the, our culture has forgotten. First of all, parents are the primary caregivers of our children. Uh, this is a, a truth that has been forgotten or displaced by uh, so many of our leaders today. You hear it when people talk on MSNBC about how we should regard these as our children, as the community's children. Uh, when people in the educational establishment, particularly in uh, government-provided schooling, talk about promoting their own values to children, which contradict the faith and the values and morals of their parents who are paying the bill for that schooling. It, it is parents who primarily love and care for their children. This is the order that was instituted by God. Uh, in the beginning, you have a man and a woman. They are capable of bringing forth children. They raise children in the love, fear, and admonition of the Lord. And that is our God-given role. And, uh, of course, the, the other truth here uh, is, is simply that education is best provided by those who know the children and that when you have competition, uh, within education, then you have competing ideas, competing methods, and the best form of education will come out. Parents deserve access to a, a, an education that reflects their faith and forms their children in a worldview that will fit them not only for excellence in this world, but fully developing the skills that God has implanted in every human person, bringing those to the fore, and allowing them to excel in this world and fitting their souls for eternal life in the next. I think the purpose of education um, is something that each and every one of us would do well to spend some time thinking about and considering. Um, 
things have changed a lot since the time that I went to public school. And now I recognize, you know, and when you're a kid, you don't, you know, your experience is your experience and you think that's normal for everybody. Um, I recognize that, you know, the experience that I had at Dale Mabry Elementary School um, is unusual. It's not the norm. Um, and, you know, in my public school experience, um, particularly in elementary school, um, you know, I mean, I, I regard as, you know, it's really great and wonderful. Um, I recognize that not everyone has a public school experience like that, um, nor all of the supplemental activities that I had when I was a kid that, again, you know, I didn't I didn't know those were abnormal or I didn't know that everybody wasn't also doing all of those things. Um, and so my influences were not limited to what happened in the classroom, um, you know, between the the first bell and the last bell. Um, and and I also wasn't bust during those years of elementary school. So, you know, I'm sensitive to those, the concerns that are raised by parents across a number of fronts. Um, I'm sensitive to how different things are in different parts of the country and even in different parts of particular communities. Um, and so, you know, we want to encourage parents today to make the decision that's right for your kid. If that's homeschooling, great. If it's private school, great. If it's a charter school, great. If it's a public school, great. Um, we want to um, we want to affirm you. We also you know want to say that your kid is being catechized through social media and through their friends um, in really, really significant ways. And so, you know, please be on the forefront of their Christian education and the development of um, of their hearts and minds as a disciple of Jesus Christ and a lover of God, uh, because that is really the most important um, educational process there is, that we would be um, educating our children in terms of the things of the faith. Yes, Ben? Amen. Oh, that, that's absolutely right. That was my, that was my education it, speech for the day. <laughs> well, it was well-spoken. You could give that every day. I guess the only the only thing that I would add to that, obviously, when we're dealing with public schools, they're subject to greater political pressure uh, than private schools and, and obviously than homeschooling. Uh, you're right. There are excellent public schools. There are excellent public school teachers. Uh, however, so many of them that I speak to say I'm being forced either to teach to the test or to teach mm-hmm. material that I don't believe in. Uh, and uh, this is something that's been foisted upon me by administrators who in turn are, are responsive to politicians. Uh, that's that's one concern. Uh, really, the major concern for me when I look back at my schooling uh, is somewhat different than you. I had a wonderful public school uh, education, but uh, I lived close enough I could have thrown a brick and hit a public school. And I was bused 90 minutes across town each way mm. uh, when I was in kindergarten. Uh, uh, later on, I did attend the school that I could walk to. But uh, when I look back, I had outstanding teachers, I believe, were providentially brought into my life in many ways. But the biggest thing that was missing is simply the fact that there is no spiritual emphasis, whatever, uh, that uh, there is no room for prayer. There is no room. Uh, the the idea of in, in vi- involving yourself in a spiritual life, being spiritually engaged or referring to the Bible was entirely removed, and we were simply catechized to be secularists, uh, not to mm. consider that as a part of our day. And that's the one great deficit uh, that uh, is public is present in every public school and which could be supplied in a private parochial or homeschool setting. 
Uh, ben, as always, thank you so much. Um, I I just read this this morning, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna tee this up as a homework assignment for you. Apparently, Kirk Cameron um, is not allowed uh, to read in the same places that um, drag queens are allowed to read, and that would be public libraries. So, um, fifty public libraries have either outright rejected him or not responded to requests on his behalf. Um, so, you know, they're they're willing to platform drag queens to speak to little kids in public libraries, but not Kirk Cameron. And so I just uh, I thought I would tee that up for you. And um, maybe we can circle back around to what is a public library and what is its function? Maybe we could have that conversation in the future. Yes. And, and of course, pastors are also involved in this effort to, to tell stories in these areas and, and off, are often excluded, which shows you that uh, often the people who are running the library uh, view faith as a threat. Uh, whereas they don't do the, the same thing when it comes to Drag Queen Story Hour. Hmm. That's amazing. All right, uh, Ben Johnson, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can connect with Ben on Twitter. He tweets at The Rights Writer, or you can find him at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We're about to turn the page um, on the year, and I recognize that, you know, you say to yourself, hey, it's not even Christmas. Don't start talking about the new year yet. Well, if I don't start talking a little bit now about the new year, then it's going to arrive and we're not going to really be prepared for it. So I'm going to spend a little time um, talking about getting ready for being in the Word of God in the new year. Like, what are the resources that you're going to use? How are you going to quiet your heart in a noisy and demanding world, how are you going to cultivate that kind of spirit? So we're going to um, we're going to talk with Denise Hughes. The book is Sanctuary: Cultivating a Quiet Heart in a Noisy and Demanding World. Um, really, a good consideration for how you might engage um, with God and His Word in the new year. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. How quiet is it at your house today or in this particular season? Uh, I know that in the new year, we're all going to be ready for some quiet time. So how are we going to cultivate a quiet heart in a noisy and demanding world? Sanctuary is the book. Denise Hughes is here to share it with us. Denise, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. It's so nice to be here with you. It's wonderful to have you. So a 31-day devotional seems really super fitting for uh, January of 2023, which is why I wanted to talk to you now um, so that we can, you know, get prepared to spend some intentional time with the Lord every day. Um, Talk with us about the importance of, of that, the importance of not only a quiet time, but a quiet life before the Lord. Yeah, that's such a great question. Well, I wrote this book because it was really my prayer. My prayer was, Lord, I need sanctuary from all the noise around us in the world. And of course, we have 
a lot of online noise, but it's really also there's noise in our hearts too. And just to settle our hearts and to quiet our before the Lord and to have that time. And living a quiet life doesn't mean taking a vow of silence or anything like that. It's really about a heart posture before the Lord. So my prayer became, Lord, I need sanctuary. And that's really where this began. Um, So talk with us about um, maybe some of the ways we are distracted from a quiet life and, and intentional sanctuary time with the Lord. Like I have got to shut other things off and shut other things down if I am going to intentionally be quiet before the Lord. Oh, absolutely. We are in a culture right now that is always on. Mm. We are on, the world is on, everything's on. I mean, I can remember as a kid, we only had cartoons on Saturday mornings, but now everything is 24-7. You can always tap into something happening everywhere. And so to intentionally turn off the noise around us is so important. And really, a quiet life begins with a quiet heart. It begins with trusting that God is good, even if the circumstances around us might not be at that time. It also requires having an eternal perspective, knowing that whatever may be going on right now, whatever we may be going through, it is temporary. And I think the noise of the world likes to uh, amplify things that are happening right now in this moment. And there's such a sense of urgency that creates a sense of emergency within us. And that elevates the noise. But scripture reminds us that pain has an expiration date. And this is the crux of the hope we have because of Christ. Um, I love um, I love you pointing there to not only the need to quiet our hearts, quiet the environment that we're in, like intentionally turn off the noise around us, settle ourselves before the Lord, and then recenter ourselves with that eternal perspective. Um, What came to mind as you were saying that is, you know, there are times that we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think of ourselves more often than we ought. We think of the times in which we live. We focus on those and we become um, very, very, uh, distracted by the things of the world, failing to elevate our thoughts, our minds, our eyes to the things which are above. So I think that's uh, what you are intentionally doing here in the book Sanctuary. Again, we're talking with Denise Hughes. The book is Sanctuary. Um, when, you know, I mean, I just think we should just acknowledge there is a very real temptation. Some of it is the fear of missing out. Some of it is the fear of being perceived by others as um not up to speed on everything. Um, So, like, how do I deal with the temptations to listen to all the noise around me, in my home, in my culture, even in my church community, and say, you know what, I'm going to say no to many of those things in order that I can say yes to some intentional sanctuary time with the Lord? Absolutely. I think it's important to recognize uh, kind of the source of where those temptations are coming from. And if we were to do just kind of a quick survey of the evolution of the screen over the last 100 years, in the Mm. early 1900s, the movie screen, you had to leave your house, go to the theater and watch the Hollywood 
actors on the big screen. So in the early 1900s, it was the big screen. Then, you know, middle 1900s, now pretty much everyone has a television set in their living room. So now we have the small screen and you no longer have to leave your house to go sit in front of a screen. Now it's in your living room, but it was still contained to the living room. And we were watching actors from Hollywood still. Now we have the micro screen and it's in everybody's back pockets. And in addition to the extreme portable nature of these micro screens is also who is on those micro screens. Now it's us. Now we have become the main character in what has become the reality show of our lives. And so much of the noise that uh, we're drawn into is because there's this very real temptation to see ourselves on that screen through selfies, through all those kinds of things. And, and it's not that any one of those is inherently wrong and by, by themselves. It's more that the culture is really telling us to focus more on ourselves. And we never find peace when the focus is on ourselves. We find peace when our focus is on Christ. And when we are, uh, because of what he's done for us, we are now sharing his grace with others and serving others. So I think this evolution from the big screen to the small screen to the micro screen and the way that we are now the main characters, I think that has a lot to do with the temptation and the noise we're hearing in our culture that's distracting us from what scripture calls us to do, and that is to focus on Christ first, to love God and to love others. Mm. Um, Denise, when you when you just think about, you know, the demands of your own life, um, they are many. I mean, you're a you're a professional person. You are engaged um, in the first five daily Bible study app with Proverbs 31 Ministries, you are a writer, you're a wife, you're a mom, um, you, you know, you're an author, you're an editor, you're a busy person. My guess is you are also engaged in the life of a local church. Um, maybe you also have um, extended family and certainly friends. Um, how important is it to you? And then how do you carve out dedicated time one-on-one with just you and the Lord? Really can't, can't fathom going through the day any other way without that quiet time, because without that time completely intentionally set aside to quiet my heart before the Lord and to spend that one-on-one time with him, I notice the effects when I don't, when Mm. I don't spend that time, that's when I start to feel stressed out, overwhelmed, anxious, and then it just sort of cascades from there. So it's because I recognize what happens internally within me when I don't spend that time that I recognize how important it is that I set that time aside because it really does change us because the spirit is real living inside us. And when we spend that time with him, we really are changed. So it's really what happens when I don't spend that time that I'm reminded why it's so important that I do. <laughs> you're making me you're making me think that there are times that um you know I might just invite my family to consider that. I might just say, you know, I I am a better I am a better version of myself um when I get to have my quiet time with the Lord and I recognize that there are a lot of things that you guys need and you feel like you need them right now and you feel like you need them from me, but trust me when I tell you 
um, you're you're going to be better served and you're certainly going to be happier to be with the version of me after I go get some time with Jesus. Um, I feel like true. Right. Like if we frame it that way, if we remind them that they really don't like the person that shows up with that, you know, (laughs) that didn't get her time with Jesus, like you don't like that version of me. I mean, and and if you asked my family members, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we know exactly who you're talking about. And yeah, we don't like her. Um, And and I don't like me either. No, totally. right? Right. Totally. No, that's exactly right. No, I yeah, no, that is exactly right. Oh, I really appreciate that, Denise. Let's um let's talk about peace. Let's talk about the peace which passes all understanding. And let's talk about the temptation to look for peace apart from Christ. Hmm. That's what the world tells us to do. The world tells us to look inside ourselves to find who we are, to find uh the the true our, our own personal truth, but we never find peace by looking inside ourselves or trying to find the real us. We find peace by looking to the one who made us, who knows us better than we know ourselves. That's where we find peace. But again, the world is constantly going to be pushing us to focus more and more on ourselves, but it's when we lay down that temptation. I mean, even when you think about the sanctuary, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, uh, Moses invited the women, the Hebrew women, to donate their polished bronze mirrors because they didn't have glass mirrors like we do today. They had polished bronze mirrors, which was probably one of their highly prized possessions from the Egyptians when they left Egypt and walked through the Red Sea. Moses invited them and they turned those in and Moses melted down those bronze mirrors. And then he created really a very large bronze wash basin. And that is a picture of Christ because the priests would then have to wash their hands in that bronze wash basin before entering into the tabernacle to experience that peace of being in Christ's presence. And just the idea of surrendering that means of reflection on ourselves. So now we go to Christ and he He is the one who cleanses us and our, we're looking on his face rather than on ours. It's such a beautiful picture in the Old Testament that's then foreshadowing, of course, when Christ comes and cleanses us uh, with, you know, shedding his blood on the cross. So we have a text line here on the show, Denise, and lots of folks are texting in right now in relationship to our conversation. Just a reminder, if you want to join the conversation, you can do so as well by texting us at 877-933-2484. Mary says, good morning. I love the word sanctuary. God has already given it to me as my word for 2023. I so, love that. I, right? So um, do you, are you a word of the year person? Do you do you do that? Is that something that's a part of your practice? Yes, I have in the past. Yes. So my my word for 2022 was purge, and Mm. I have a I have a lot of work yet to do on that topic before the end of the year. As I look (laughs) around, as I look around at all the things in my life that still need to be purged, but um, sanctuary is on my list of words that I'm going to prayerfully consider for 2023. So um, I'm I'm reveling in this conversation today. We're going to continue our conversation with Denise Hughes in just a moment. The book is Sanctuary, Cultivating a Quiet Heart in a Noisy and Demanding World. When we come back, I'm going to ask Denise to share with us some diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves to discover if our hearts are 
disordered. And maybe that might be why we are not experiencing peace. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking today with Denise Hughes. She has many things, um, including a mom and a wife and a Christian sister, She's also an author. The book is Sanctuary, Cultivating a Quiet Heart in a Noisy and Demanding World. Um, You can connect with Denise at denisejhughes.com, also on Facebook and Twitter. You can find her on all of her socials from her website. Um, Denise, let's talk about uh, a disordered heart and how we can diagnose it. So what are some diagnostic questions we could ask ourselves to discover if our hearts are disordered? Well, I really started studying that verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, where Paul tells believers to seek to lead a quiet life. That's the CSB version. The NIV version says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And so I started really examining that word ambition. Now, there can be unholy ambition in our hearts, and there can also be holy ambition. And and Paul acknowledges both kinds of ambition in different places in Scripture. So if we're going to do a heart x-ray and examine uh, what are the ambitions lurking in my heart and that could possibly be preventing me from leading a quiet life and experiencing the peace that we find in Christ. Uh, Here's one diagnostic question. The first is, do you have relationships with those who cannot benefit you professionally or personally? I think that's a great question because If the ambition of our hearts is leading us to climb the professional ladder, or if that's really what we're seeking to do, then we're going to tend to see people as resources and opportunities rather than people made in the image of Christ who maybe they need something from us rather than us always seeking to try to get something from others. So one question, do you have relationships with those who cannot benefit you professionally or personally? Do you have people in your life who you just love simply for who they are, not for something they can do for you? That's that's a good indicator of where our heart is at. When we have those kinds of relationships, when we can enjoy people simply for who they are. A second question is, do your ambitions take you away from family to an inordinate degree? Now, we'll all have those seasons when we're just a little extra busy in this particular season. So that's understandable. But when that season stretches on and it just really becomes a way of life and we are not spending time with the Lord or even time with our family like we want to, then that's an indicator, that's a red flag that something is amiss in our hearts and our ambitions are probably leading us in the wrong direction. A third question would be to ask yourself, 
Will you be okay with God if your dreams don't come to fruition in this lifetime? Now, it's okay to, to dream and, and to pursue our dreams and to pursue those things we feel God has put on our hearts. But what if those, those deepest dreams in our hearts, what if they don't come to fruition in this lifetime? Will we still be okay with God if they don't? Because sometimes, whether we intentionally mean to or not, sometimes we can kind of come to God like he's a genie in the bottle and we expect he's going to bless our dreams and he's going to make things come to happen in the way we want them to. And so one of those questions is, God, if this thing I've been praying for and dreaming about for so long, if it never happens in this lifetime, I'm still going to be okay because what I really want is you, Lord, not this other thing. So that's a third diagnostic question. A fourth diagnostic question would be, how well are you observing the Sabbath? Now, obviously, that's one of the Ten Commandments, but it is such a good indicator that if I can't get everything done in six days a week and spend one day a week observing the Sabbath, resting the way God has commanded us to. And, and that is an indicator that something is amiss, that we're not trusting God to provide for us, that we're trying to look to ourselves for self-sufficiency to provide for ourselves when we are working and busy seven days a week. So I think that's a fourth diagnostic question. How well are you observing the Sabbath? Yeah, that's so good. I also think that, that you know, complementing the asking of the question with the with the theological examination like right so there's you know if i'm if i'm not observing the sabbath if i'm not resting the way god commands what does that say about my real operating theology like i'm i mean you use the word trust or trusting god um Mm -hmm. trusting god to provide trusting god to um you know to treat me as he has promised as his child um and so that's i think those are those are good penetrating questions. Um, I think the one about, you know, how am I going to respond if God does not give me my dreams? Like, right, if God, if God's not dreaming the same dreams I'm dreaming about my life um, or for mm-hmm. my children or um, or for yeah. my country, like, right, whatever. I mean, nations yeah. rise and fall um, yeah. and 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 people die um, and make terrible decisions and wander off. And it's possible that God is not going to answer a particular prayer in this lifetime in the way we have asked. And part of that is we can't see all that God sees, not only about our own lives, but about everything else he's doing in the redemptive exactly. arc of history. So some of this is humility. There's a There's a trust conversation to be had. There's a humility conversation to be had. Um, Yeah, and there is a right ordering of life. And that, I think, gets back to some of those initial questions that you asked. If if I'm looking at that very first question that you teed up for us, um, do I have relationships with those who cannot benefit uh, me personally or professionally? Um, You know, I just confess, the first people who come to mind are little children in my life, right? Who, Mm. um, Who I love just because they are. Um, and in some cases have some very special needs and they are not going to produce in the life of our culture um, that which is expected of productive citizens. And mm. so I, I have, you know, in very close proximity in my own life, in my home and in my extended family, people who are going to need to be loved by others 
just for who they are, because they are not going to be people who are ever going to be resources. Um, uh, They're not going to be, yeah, they're not going to catapult people further. I mean, they are going to be people who have needs their whole lives for others to show them mercy and grace. And so um, this proximity, this nearness that we have to people who cannot do everything for themselves that we expect people, um, you know, in a in a culture of independence like the one in which we live, um, I, I think that's a really good one. And you could look at both ends of the age spectrum. Um, yes. You know, do do I have older people in my life? Do I have intentional relationships with elderly people? Um, and maybe the widows and orphans are the ones who just most easily come to mind here. Do I have relationships with widows and orphans? <laughs> like, right? mm-hmm. I mean, if you just need a category to think about, it's so helpful. I just love it. Um, uh, let's do one more um, one more thing before you go, um, and that is just to say, um, give us maybe one Bible passage that you would rec- recommend we memorize on this subject. My favorite verse is Psalm 107, verse 20, where he said, the psalmist said, he sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from their traps. The word heals. It heals our Mm. hearts. And when we are living in such a loud culture that is really screaming messages at us that are very counter to scripture, it's so important that we are anchored in the word. And then we know it's a promise in scripture. He is healing our hearts and our spirits when we are yielding to the authority of scripture. I, I like the metaphor of when I, my tires on my car are out of alignment and they're, you know, mm. when the car is kind of veering to one side because there's a misalignment in the tires. I like to think of reading scripture as I'm just getting, I'm realigning my heart with God right now. And so that Psalm 107 verse 20, he sent his word and healed them. The word heals because the word is truth. And I'm an English teacher. I teach books for a living. I teach classic literature. I love uh, how life and literature connects in books, but there's only one book with living words and it's the active word of God. So that is my favorite verse. It's so wonderful. You guys can connect directly with Denise at her website, denisejhughes.com. I'll put all the links in the show notes for today. The book is Sanctuary, Cultivating a Quiet Heart in a Noisy and Demanding World. Denise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. We'll be right back. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It is the most wonderful time of the year. I find myself wondering what are a few of your favorite things during this time of the year. Um, I uh, I acknowledge that this time of year I'm kind of shamelessly nostalgic. Um, I pull out old photo albums. I look at old Christmas cards. I um, I consider old dogs, dogs I used to have. Like I know it's like silly things like that or things that you might find silly. I'm wondering um, what's the shameless nostalgia that you engage in this time of year and what are a few of your favorite things you can always text me text line is open 877-933-2484 we got another hour of mornings with carmen up next Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, 
Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.